so the Bible reading passage will be split into chapter 8 and 9 first, and then we'll do chapter 10 um, later in the sermon. So we'll do Leviticus 8 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons the garments, the anointing oil, the bull for their sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on, on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed a breastpiece on him and put the Urim and the Thunum, um, totally butchering these, <laughs> in the breastpiece. Then he placed a turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin within uh, with its with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and then anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hand on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood, and his, with his fingers he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, so he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs and the long lobe of the liver and both kidneys and their fat and burnt it and burned it on the altar. But the bull with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burnt, he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the ram for the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid, laid their hands on its head. Then Moses slaughtered the ram and splashed the blood against the side of the altar he cut the ram into pieces and burned the head, the pieces and the fat. He washed the internal organs and the legs with water and burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination. Um, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of its right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toes of their right feet. Then he splashed blood against the side of the altar. After that, he took the fat, the fat tail, all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of bread made without yeast, which was before the Lord, he took on he took one thick loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in it, and one thin loaf, and he put these on the fat portions and on the right thigh. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and they waved them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then Moses took them from their hands 
um, and burnt them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as an ordination offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Moses also took the breast, which was his share of the ordination ram, and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated them. He consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Moses then said to Aaron and his sons, cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offering, as I commanded. Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. What had been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of the meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires, so you will not die. For that is what I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. Chapter 9. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them to the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, make, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the Lord, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped, he dipped his fingers into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out of the base, put it at the base of the altar. On the altar, he burned the fat, the kidney and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned up, up outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them up on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the, brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sins offering and slaughtered them, and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it um, in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as a fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the, and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of the fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, 
um, these they laid on the breast and the and and then Aaron burnt the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breast and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hand towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he sat down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Heavenly Father, thanks for um, all that you've uh, done for us and all that you continue to do for us. Uh, We ask that um, in this passage today, as we sit and listen to your word, um, help us to understand you more. Please reveal to us and surprise us with more of your character. Um, Help us to know how to live our lives in light of that as well. And we pray that our hearts will change and be more like um, Christ's heart and we'll be more obedient to you. Amen. Um, Before I start, I just wanted to say... um, Thanks, yeah, thanks, Gnomes, for reading. And uh, thanks, Deanna, for that prayer as well. I think it was a really good prayer for the time that we're in. Uh, So over the past five or so sermons, we've been looking at various sacrifices in the tabernacle system, uh, all the different ways that the Israelites would express themselves to God. And I'm hoping that you've been pleasantly surprised by how much of God's character and his love and his generosity and his care and his justice and his righteousness, how much all of those things have come through his laws. Something you might have noticed, though, as we were going through it, is that the Israelites couldn't come right up to God. They could celebrate with him. They could atone for their sins. They could do all these other different things, but they couldn't do it on their own. They needed priests. Without priests, the the sacrificial system fell apart. You have a God that is supremely holy, so much so that nothing unclean can touch him, can come anywhere near him and live, but you have his people that are innately unclean, and very often they're sinful as well. And you might not realise it, but in this new covenant era, we have the exact same problem. God is still perfectly holy and we're still innately unclean and we're still very often unsinful. But somehow we can come before God. So how can the common meet the holy and survive? The answer in the old covenant is the priest. Within the temple system, the priest is able to bring the holy and the common together. Without him, nothing works. So the passage today is really bringing up what makes a priest a priest. Aren't they just humans like you and me? Why can they bring God and his people together? What's so special about them? How do you make a priest? That's what we'll be looking at. And we're going to find out it's not too easy because they are humans. They kind of need to be made something more to be able to bring God's people and God together. And so to make them something more, we have this ritual laid out in chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 8, in the presence of all of Israel, the high priest, Aaron, 
is dressed in this elaborate detailed garment. It's got robes, there's breast pieces, there's headdresses, and there's probably significances to all of those things that we can only guess at. So by verse 9, he's looking the part of the priest. But really, that meant nothing. Because if he had walked into the presence of God at that point, he would have been incinerated. So the ritual goes on. Everything in the tabernacle is anointed with the sacred anointing oil to mark it out as dedicated or special to God. And Aaron is as well. And then his sons, who will be priests and high priests after him, they have less elaborate garments, but they're dressed as well. But that's not it. The garments and the anointing oil is not enough. They're still not fit for the task. On top of that, a sin offering has to be made for them because they're sinful. And we've spent a whole lot of time looking at the sin offerings in detail, so we won't dive into it now. But just pay attention to verse 17. It says, The bull with its hide and its flesh and its dung or its feces, or I think um, the NIV goes with um, its intestines, had to be burned up outside of camp. That fits in with the instructions in chapter 4. So not every part of the sacrifice, it seems, was accepted by God. Some parts of the sacrifice were so unacceptable to God that had to be thrown outside and burnt. And that's important just to keep in mind for later on, that it'll all kind of wrap together. And the sin offering on its own, plus the anointing, plus the garments, that's still not enough. But now they need a burnt offering as well, verse 18. And then the burnt offering is not enough. Now they need an ordination offering, verse 22. Previously, we didn't have any instructions about the ordination offering, maybe because this is a once-off, never-to-be-repeated ceremony. A lot of the practices seem to overlap with other sacrifices, like the fat and the organs being burnt on the fire and the bread being burnt on the fire. But the one thing that really stands out about this um, sacrifice or this uh, ceremony, the thing that's unique about it, that's in no other ceremonies or sacrifices, is that the sacrificer touches the blood. Here the blood's put on the ear, the finger, and the toe, every extremity of the body, maybe implying that the whole body is really covered in blood. And at the end, in verse 30, they're covered again in blood. Blood is tossed on them like the altar is covered with blood. Verse 34 tells us that all those rituals, all those sacrifices which have been done today, the, uh, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the ordination, the anointing, that was all done because they had to be atoned for. It's not just the sin offering that does the atoning because now we're starting to understand that atoning is a full preparation for encountering God. It's not just about sin, but it's about every single part of the human being made ready to come into an encounter with God. And so finally, at the end of that, they're ready, kind of. 
verse 35 says that they have to stay there at the tent of meeting for seven more days. That's how long the ordination takes. And they have to do what the Lord requires during those seven days. It seems that they had to, from, from other instructions that we get in Exodus, it seems that they had to do this whole ritual over and over again, seven times, once on each day, because they were only human, but they needed to be priests. The people needed priests. But chapter 9 comes around. On the eighth day, they were ready. On the eighth day, they were priests. And so you see the sacrifices in chapter 9 aren't mediated by Moses anymore. Now suddenly they're done by Aaron. Now that the people had their priests in verse 4, they were able to see God. They were getting ready to see God. He wouldn't be separated from them like he was at the end of Exodus. But Aaron and his sons were going to make a way for God to come into contact with his people. But it was a long preparation. He started to offer sin offerings and burnt offerings for himself because he still needed to be atoned for. Aaron still needed atoning because he was only human. He still needed to be precise and careful with all those offerings. In verse 11, remember again, not everything was accepted in the offerings, but some of it had to be separated, taken outside of the camp and burnt. And only when that was done right, when he had atoned for himself, then he could atone for the people. So you have this image of sacrifice stacked on top of sacrifice You have Aaron's sin offering, and then on top of that, Aaron's burnt offering, and then on top of that, the people's sin offering, and then on top of that, the people's burnt offering, and then on top of that, the people's grain offering, and then on top of that, the people's fellowship offering. Maybe stacked meters high in the air, who knows? And all of that burning on top of the altar. But when everything's done right when the priest has perfectly fulfilled his duty, verse 22 onwards, there's blessing for the people. You might think sacrifice and ritual is like silly and old and outdated or even just dead. But in God's system, sacrifice and ritual affects reality. After these eight days of ritual, There are priests that enable God to visit his people in person. His fire accepts the sacrifices and then the people shout for joy. The priest has done his job. God is with his people. They see his presence and they fall on their faces. But there's still one final problem. Naomi, can you read for us chapter 10? Aaron's son's nap. Uh, Nadab and Abihu took their censers and uh, put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this, this is what the Lord had, uh, spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. 
Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Eliphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp as Moses um, ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his son Eleazar and, and Itamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the house of Israel, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of the meet, of meeting, for, or you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you must teach the Israelites all of the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Itamar, take the grain offering left over from the offerings made to the Lord by fire and eat it prepared without yeast beside the altar, for it is most holy. Eat it in a holy place because it's your share and your son's share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire, for so I have been commanded. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a, ceremon in a ceremonially clean place. They have been given to you and your children as your share of the Israelites' fellowship offering. The thigh that was presented and the breast that was waved must be brought with the fat portions of the offering made by fire to be waved, to be waved before the Lord as a wave offering. This will be a regular share for you and your children, as the Lord has commanded. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found it had been burned up, he was angry and Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is the most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in a sanctuary area, in the sanctuary area, as I commanded. Aaron replied to Moses, Today they sacrifice their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such thing as this have happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. So you might be a little bit confused with that chapter because it's a bit complicated. But basically the final problem that that chapter presents is exactly the same as the first problem. The priests are only human. Even after seven full days of sacrifice, of anointing, of covering with blood, they're only human. Even after uh, executing the first day of sacrifices to perfection and seeing the glory of God and having God's fire confirm their role as priests by consuming their offerings, they're still only human. They make mistakes. They offer things that aren't meant to be offered. Nadab and Abihu offer something that is not holy. And so they themselves are consumed by fire. Because verse 3, God says, Among those who approach him, he will be proved holy. 
in the sight of all the people, he will be honoured. What happens to sacrifices or parts of sacrifices that God doesn't consider holy? They're taken outside and burnt on the ash heap, along with the dung and the feces, the intestines, all the things that God rejects. And that's where the bodies of Nadab and Abihu are carried. Their offering and then they themselves are rejected. And they're left to burn with feces and dung and intestines. So what now? What happens when the priesthood fails after not even a day of running? God still wants to be with his people, and the people have only just gotten a glimpse of their God. It seems like the priesthood must go on. But how? Aaron and his two remaining sons aren't allowed to grieve because what God did was right. And the priests need to represent God to the people. So the people can mourn because it's a tragedy, but Aaron and his sons can't mourn because it was righteous. That was what needed to happen. And that's what God said happens with things that he rejects. They're taken outside and they're thrown on that heap. And so in verse 8, God reinforces to Aaron the, the key to their role. They have to understand the difference between common and holy between clean and unclean. And they need to teach all of Israel this. They were the filter for everything that came before God. And that wasn't just for the sake of God's holiness, but it was for the safety of the people as well. Otherwise, if the people bring something unholy and the priests permit something unholy to enter his presence, they'd be destroyed. They'd be consumed by God's fire. And so in verse 12, the priesthood goes on. Moses, straight after Aaron's sons die, reminds Aaron and his remaining sons that they're still priests. Just like in verse 13, the remaining grain offering is most holy, Aaron and his remaining sons are still priests and they'll have a perpetual share in God's possession. And the chapters immediately following it teach about the food laws and they teach about what's clean and unclean. So the priesthood does go on. But verse 16 onwards, it's not perfect. They're still human. They're in mourning. Maybe they're in shock at the loss of their uh, brothers and sons. And so they neglect their duties. How can a priest eat the sin offering when he's devastated by the loss of his brother or his son? He can't. He's only human. And so imperfection in the temple system has to be lived with because the priest is only human. The people will always have the dread of the priest making a mistake when they come and offer their sacrifices. They'll always have to fear the consequences of God rejecting the offering because the priest didn't do his job right. 
So a burnt offering to God to express thanks to God or a peace offering with God to celebrate and feast with God in the old covenant era was always sprinkled with fear. And that's what they lived with after this. After the first day of the priests working, they lived with fear of every sacrifice that they offered. But in the new covenant era, there's still the problem of a holy God and an unclean people, but we have no fear because we have a perfect priest. Perfect as in we can trust him totally with our sacrifices and our lives. He takes our imperfect sacrifices and he can present them to God perfectly. In New Covenant times, I think that we, we think that we can come to God however we like. We can pray to God however we like. We can offer whatever we like. And in a way that is true. But what does it take to let us approach God with such confidence and offer him anything that we like? So much confidence that there isn't a sprinkle of fear in us of being consumed by God's fire when we approach him. What does that take? It takes a perfect priest that's continually taking our offerings, our imperfect offerings, and making them acceptable before God. Most likely, we've been living with the benefits of that day in and day out for as long as we've been Christians. We've offered imperfect prayers. We've given half-hearted offerings. We've been double-minded in our service to God. Yet, we've not been consumed by fire. Why? Only because we have a perfect priest. The priests of the old covenant were only human. And Jesus is human, but he's not only human. So unlike God's people in the old covenant who had to come carefully, really carefully, really fearfully into God's presence, we can approach God boldly. We can give him unbridled praise. We can pray to him our deepest fears. We can express to him our deepest and harshest anger, even at him. And we can come to him in all times, in all ways, and offer him all things because we have a perfect priest that makes our imperfect offerings fully acceptable to our holy God. And that's the joy of the new covenant with Jesus as our priest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you right now without fear, but instead with boldness, we can approach you and offer you our thanks, offer you our praise, offer you our fears, offer all these things to you, knowing that Christ presents them perfectly. We thank you for a perfect high priest, one that lets us live with you closely without fear, but in boldness. We pray, Lord, that that knowledge will change the way that we live, will help us to engage with you more, help us to engage with you with all parts of our lives, knowing that Christ will perfectly handle any of our imperfections. We pray and we thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our perfect priest. So first question up for you, John, what does the glory of the Lord look like?
Um, yeah, good one. Uh, I guess we don't know uh, is the short answer. Uh, some things that we can tell, uh, actually probably the biggest thing that we can tell is that his, it is super bright. Um, so in Exodus, you have Moses going up and being in the presence of God, coming down and his face still shone like days after. He had to wear a veil because people were thrown off about how much his face shone by being in God's presence. Uh, in Revelation, it tells us we won't need sun because God's brightness will be so bright, it'll be our light. Um, in the Holy of Holies, within the, the most holy part of the tabernacle, there's no lights. Um, there's no kind of um, lights coming in from the outside. There's no lamplight inside. But when the priest goes in, he still has to um, fill the room with smoke to shield himself from God's presence, his light. So all those things kind of tell us that God's presence is super, super bright, uh, so bright that you kind of, when you see it, you fall on your face. Um, and that's probably all we can know for right now about what God's glory looks like. Um, I think interestingly you can, like, God's glory, that brightness and that um, intensity can be captured in human form because Jesus is the perfect image of God. So there's something about that. This like, I I don't know how you can capture that type of brightness in the human, but like Jesus does that somehow. Uh, So I guess when we see God in, or Jesus in heaven, maybe we'll understand it a bit more. Um, And then we'll experience God's like glory directly as well. So I don't know, super bright. That's about all we can say, I think. (laughs) Super bright. Um, the rest is speckies, but thanks for that insight. Um, okay, next question. In 10 verse 3, I'll read it out now. Chapter 10 verse 3 reads, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Why does Moses say that, John? And how does it relate to God burning up the two brothers yeah, I think that like this um, chapter 10, like that's super complicated. It could easily be like a whole sermon on its own. Um, so I had to skim over a lot. But yeah, I think your instinct is right. It does connect with uh, burning, uh, God burning Aaron's sons um, in that they brought um, fire or an offering or a sacrifice to God that was, I think, does the... Then I think you say unauthorized, maybe. Um, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I, I, sorry I, was re- I realized I was reading ESV for that. Before, oh, that's so all right. It's still it might have sounded a bit different for. Yeah, still pretty close. Uh, so they brought unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Um, so God tells the people exactly what can come into his presence, uh, what things are holy. And acceptable and what things are common and unclean and not acceptable. But um, Nadab and Abihu, they decided for some reason, and some people think that they were drunk because that kind of connects to uh, verse 9 where it says, you and your sons are not to drink fermented wine. So they think that maybe it implies that they were drunk. When they came in and offered, offered this fire just randomly, God didn't say they could. They just did it. And so... God's response to Aaron 
who's probably mourning over the death of his sons is that I'm a holy God. You can't come into my presence with unholy things, being unclean and expect to leave. And then Aaron, Aaron just has nothing to say because that's, that's kind of how it works with God. So that, that quote is just God saying, like, I, I take myself seriously. Like, when you come into my presence, you have to be clean and you have to bring clean things. Cool. Um, maybe we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get a follow-up onto that one because the last question straight to that. Oh, okay. I think. Maybe I might be wrong. Why is Aaron's reply acceptable to Moses? What about what God thinks? Shouldn't God burn them up for doing the wrong thing? Oh, yeah. Is that is that at the end? Is that um, they're talking about verses 19 and 20, I think? Um, possibly. Does that person want to? I'll, I'll let them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's verses 19. Okay, cool. Okay, maybe we'll come back to that one then. Yeah. Uh, okay, what is wave offering? What is the wave offering? Yeah, okay. So the wave offering is not like specified as one of those big offerings, but what it seems to be um, is that um, it's like a portion of the offering uh, to God that's given to the priests. And so the priests take it and presumably wave it. So like like literally um, a wave offering, that like when it says they waved the wave offering, it, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's like they waved the waving thing. It's kind of a more literal translation. So what it seems like is it's a portion of the um, the sacrifice that was given to God, which was given to the priests, and then the priests wave it, I guess, as a, as a means of saying thanks for this, and then they take and they do what they do with it. So I think the wave offering is just kind of like a thanks for giving me this and... Yeah, so it's, it's a it's bit like weird. Waving yeah. in the air, yeah, it's yeah. Like, like it's weird, like to imagine them waving a pie in the air, and then like, and then going on their way. <laughs> like it's a bit weird, but I, as far as I can tell, that's what it is. Wow. Very good, very good. Um, what does it mean? Ten, nineteen, twenty. Yes, that's correct. Uh, maybe we we'll just we we'll just do that. We'll do the yep. middle one and we'll come back to that one. What does it mean to be ordained? Uh, yep. So uh, another really good question. So um, I think the ordination that you see in in this uh, passage is different than say the ordination. I don't know if you remember when I was ordained, right? Like, so when I was ordained, uh, we had some other uh, pri- not priests. What's the word? Ministers lay their hands on me. Um, and basically it was a, it was a sign that um, the church thought I was um, a right fit to be a minister within the church. So they're, they're saying by laying hands on him, we're kind of conferring our approval sort of that he, that, that John is um, fit to, to do this role. The ordaining in the passage that we see, I think is a bit different. It's not so much that, um they're uh being approved but it's more like they're being prepared so the the word for ordain is it has the same root as the word for filling up um so for and there's like a bit of a play on words i think is in like eight maybe leviticus 833 uh there's a bit of a play on words, whatever the passage is. I can't find it now, but can have a look back. 
what are the passages? It's kind of like saying that for seven days, you're, you will be filled, as in you'll be, the, the filling of the seven days is like the, the priests being filled with something uh, so that they can become priests, basically. So ordination is actually the creation of the priest, I think, in this passage. The, and creation by filling. So they're filled with something. Maybe filled with the spirit, maybe filled with something else. They're filled, they're kind of established, they're set up as priests. So that's what ordaining means in this passage. And different than the ordaining that we have these days. So um, we don't uh, we don't have the the idea that people need to be f- that the idea that they need to be filled for this task in the way that they were in the old covenant. Uh, because I think this ordaining just happened once and then it carried down through the generations, through the sons of Aaron. So I don't think, I don't know that every new priest was ordained. I don't think they were. I think this just happened once off. Um, so ordaining means filling in this context, filling in order to prepare or to establish or set up as priests. Sorry, long answer. I can't went in circles a bit. Ah, good. Makes sense. All right, um, so we've had clarification now that, yes, that is chapter 10, 19 to 20, when yeah. Aaron replies to Moses. So um, what are your thoughts on that question now, John? Um, why was Aaron's reply acceptable? I think, so basically the, the flow of the story is Aaron's sons die. Uh, he's rebuked for this. Um, they're, they're corrected. There's like, this is what priests do. And then Moses says, go and do your thing, right? Like um, take the grain offering, eat it, do this thing. And then Moses, uh, after that, he's like asking about the the sin offering. Like where's the goat of the sin offering? What'd you do with it? And he finds out that they um, burnt it instead of eating it. Um, and I think Aaron's reply is that, um, that it's like, look what happened to me today. Would God actually be happy if I were to eat the sin offering and do my priestly duties in this kind of, when I'm, when I'm dealing with this in my heart? And Moses is kind of like, yeah, I guess that's right. You're only human. So that's kind of like the idea of they're only human. They, they have this priestly duty to do. They have to atone for the sins of the people, but they didn't do it properly because they're only human. Like their their son just died that same day, and so maybe he like maybe he just couldn't eat. Like how how do you eat a goat between three people when your two of your brothers just died? Like you can't eat that. So like he he just couldn't do what he needed to do to atone for the people, and so presumably the people went unatoned for that day. But in God's sight, well at least in Moses' sight, that's acceptable because they're only human. And presumably, like, Moses being the mediator of the covenant is representing God at that point saying, yeah, actually, that's okay. Like, within this covenant, God's generous. He knows that people are only people. He knows that they can't do this right now because of all that's happened. And so he accepts that. He says, okay, that's good. Um, Like, the more literal thing is um, Aaron says, would it have been good for me to eat this? And Moses says, 
oh, that answer is good, something like that. So there's like a goodness, there's like a judgment there that's saying, yeah, this is this is good. Okay, let's go. Cool. So it says, would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? Mm. And then verse 20, when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Mm. Um, okay. Um, so it's like a... What... Yeah, okay. Um, f- maybe following on from that, what do you reckon, like, do you think... What are your thoughts on how can God can kind of like let this slide, but he doesn't mm. let other things slide? Like that's, I guess maybe that's a follow-up mm. secondary question to that. Shouldn't God burn them up for doing the wrong thing? Like it seems like he he forgives one thing, like Aaron not eating the goat, but then other things he there's no no warning, just just straight fire, straight away, dead. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. I only I, I did kind of wonder this. I didn't ever come to a conclusion, but um, good question. Um, I think there's there's kind of degrees of what's going on here. Um, so they didn't atone for the people, which was their duty, because of this stuff that was going on with them. But maybe like in that um, that that was possibly not considered as dire a thing as walking into the holy place and offering unauthorized fire because in that act you're coming to God, you're you're coming increasingly close into his presence without having been prepared to do it, without having done the right thing. And so that like God just can't have that in his presence. If you walk in and you're not clean, you're gone. But this was a bit more like they were outside, they were supposed to have um, eaten the thing in the area to atone for the people. They didn't, so the people couldn't come in. So it's was, it was maybe like they didn't do their duty, but nothing kind of went wrong with it. So maybe that's why there's. And so later on, I think in uh, like maybe in Kings or something, I can't remember, um, some other priests see God's, uh, the Ark of the Covenant fall or about to fall when they're trying to move it around. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is the thing that's in the Holy of Holies that I guess basically makes the Holy of Holies the Holy of Holies. They see it's about to fall and then they just put their hands on it to stop it falling and God destroys them because they're not meant to touch it. So and I think that's maybe an example of coming into God's presence without being ready. Like that's how dangerous he is. You're just trying to stop the thing from falling, but he's so holy you can't, like, don't touch it. If you're not if you're not cleansed, if you're not ready to touch it, don't touch it. You can't come to God into his presence like that. And then... That's like the amazing thing about being in the new covenant era with Jesus as our priest, right? We can actually come like right in. So the the idea of the the temple veil between uh, to the holy of holies being torn is actually massive. When you go through Leviticus, you understand how massive it is, because now you can actually just walk in, like you can walk right in and not be burned and not have any fear of being burned, because Jesus is a perfect high priest. Um, but not not in those times. They 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 just had human priests, but now we've got more than a human priest. That's huge. That is huge. All right. Um, thanks for that, John. Good answers. 